Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I don't need all that stuff. Great. Well, what wonderful worship. We've been away a little bit, and, and I've done a lot of meetings. I did about 23 sessions, I think, in Christchurch, and then about another six or seven up in Tauranga. And uh, so it's just great to be back in the house of God. You have no idea how wonderful it is, just that praise and that where I could just stay there and enjoy God. How many wanted to do that? It was so good. Just I love that feel of strength in the house. Amen? Just so good, so good. Okay, I want to share. I'm beginning a series today, and uh, Pastor Dave asked me if I'd do a series on sonship instead of doing a seminar, so here we go. And even if you've been through it before, you find there's, there's new things. There's always new things. Nothing ever comes out the same, and I try and study and add, add other things to it. So I'm going to do a series over four weeks uh, called Sonship, and uh, today we're going to look at uh, sonship and eternal purpose, God's eternal purpose, and look at the big picture. If we go down too far into the little details, then you miss the big picture, and you always got to see the big picture. If you don't see the big picture, then you, you just uh, 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 will we'll stagger on the way. And so today I want to share on eternal purpose, sonship and eternal purpose. Then the next week I'm going to share a message called the three R's, you know, like reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, the three R's, the foundations of sonship, what they are. And uh, I know you're going to find that really uh, a challenge because it shows how we should live our life. And then we'll go on, I'll open up some other areas. I'm not going to tell you them right now. <laughs> okay, I've got lots of ideas though. Not enough Sundays to do it, but that's all right. I'll write it and record it. So, I want you to read with me in Ephesians 3 verse 10 and 11. Ephesians 3 verse 10 and 11. And it says, uh, Paul is writing, Ephesians amazing. It's full of so much revelation. He says, to the intent that now, now, hear that word now, not future, now, the manifold wisdom of God, something that's the wisdom of God, not man's wisdom. The wisdom of God might be known, made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you notice then that word eternal purpose. Purpose means that God has a long-term plan. God has a long-term plan he is working out. So nothing happening in the world is random. There is a plan being worked out. The problem is most Christians look at the media and they don't understand the plan. If you look at the media, you just get filled with fear and overwhelmed. If you study the Word of God to find God's plan, you will be filled with hope and it will cause you to persevere and be filled with faith in the season. See, it's the difference. And so God, notice it says he has an eternal purpose. And that word eternal is the word age. Remember we saw about ages, we taught a series on ages, this present evil age, and then it talks about the age to come, and then the eternal age. This present age, the age of the kingdom, and then the eternal age, which who knows what that's made up of. And uh, so it says that God's purpose is an age-lasting purpose. So what we're seeing, when we look into the purpose of God, it has been worked out in this age and then will be worked out and fulfilled in the next age. And so it's a long-term plan. God has a long-term plan. But you notice, although it'll come to its fulfillment in the future, there's a part now happens. Now to the principalities and powers, to the unseen spirit rulers who influence nations, influence world events, are behind the manipulation of governments and finance and things like that. They're still operating and influential. Nevertheless, now God wants to show through people 
how wise he is, what his wisdom is. When you receive Jesus Christ, that is the wisdom of God. You have got a fresh start in life. When you begin to walk with God, that is the wisdom of God. When you choose to love people instead of hate them, that is the wisdom of God. When you choose to be a giver rather than a taker, that is the wisdom of God. So, so the plan of God is not just something in the future. It's something that is operating in our life day by day, but leading to a grand climax. That make sense? So that's the eternal purpose of God, which he purposed in Christ. So Christ is the center of that purpose, and that purpose is outworked now through the church. So a lot of people get wound up about the church and the media have a go at the church. The church is always going to be in the front line of conflict because it's the family within which God brings forth his purpose. The church is not his purpose. There's nothing to indicate that is his purpose. The church is the body of people through which he outworks his purpose, which is to bring forth sons and daughters into the destiny he has for them. So the church is a great crowd of people and very, very immature at that. But however, nevertheless, God uses the church as his instrument to fulfill his purpose. Now, through the church, the body of people known as the local church. Okay, so now we're going to have a look into Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16 to 19. So we're looking at eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose is actually a family of Christ-like sons and daughters. Let's have a look in Paul's prayer for believers. Now notice here, he's praying for believers. So we read it in Ephesians 1, 16 through to 19. I do not cease to give thanks for you. He doesn't complain about the church or people. He gives thanks. I have a good thanks for people making mention of you in my prayer. So he's a, a, in his prayer, he just thanks God for the people that's been entrusted to him. That the God, now here's what his prayer is. He's saying, I'm praying that my prayer is that the God uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So he's saying he's praying for the church. That's for believers, that's for you, that God would give you something you need. It's called the spirit of wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit who imparts wisdom, knowing what to do and understanding, knowing the why to do it. And he, he prays specifically for three things. Let me just show you what they are. And uh, they're very outlined in here. Then we'll just pick one of them and they're all interrelated. So you notice there that Paul is uh, writing, he's, he's, he's saying here that, uh, here it is, that the, uh, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened that you might know the hope of his calling. There's the first one. The riches of the glory of his inheritance, what God gets in you. And the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So he's, asked, he's, he's praying then that God will give us three areas of understanding, that you would understand what God is doing and this would unfold for you. It would be progressive. And here's the first one. The first one is that you would understand the hope of your calling. So, so God has called to you. He, that means he's invited you. He's extended you an invitation. You should know what he's inviting you to. If you don't know what he's inviting you to, then it's hardly like you fulfill the invitation. He's inviting us to a great wedding. He's inviting us into sonship. He's inviting us to be part of his plan and changing creation. There's many aspects to what he's inviting us to. It's called the hope, something you look forward to, something that hasn't happened yet. The hope of his calling. 
Paul called it the prize of the high calling of God. He said, I abandon everything just to do that. Many Christians just live to come to services and survive life. That is not how we're designed to live. We're designed to live with a great hope of God's calling and purpose in our life. We're designed to live out of purpose so everything connects to that purpose. That makes sense? And he said, notice here the second thing, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, I pray this prayer over me every day when I pray. As I walk down and I pray, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and understanding knowledge of you. And the eyes of my understanding might be open. I would know what's the hope of my calling. It's the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. So God has something he wants in you. God has an inheritance. Inheritance comes after someone died. And there's something that God has in you he's longing for that's connected to his purpose. And then the third thing he prays for is that you might know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. He wants you to understand that the power of God is incredible. And he demonstrated it through raising Christ from the dead, indicating this hope has to do with us being raised out of this mortal body. Oh, that's a good news. That is great news. That is exciting news. So for most people, they just think of the inheritance, as being, they think of, the, of what God has for us as going to heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. Go see if you can find one verse that says that God's plan is to get you saved so you can go to heaven. It says heaven is the place his inheritance is reserved for you. So God's inheritance, what is he planning? Uh, so the Bible, because spiritual things are not always easy to understand, God uses lots of different ways to describe it. He uses pictures. So one way he uses it is a family. God is a father, wants a family, sons and daughters, just like Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus. Jesus is his exact reflection and Jesus is his delight and joy and he wants many, many more like him. So a family, God is a father, God is a family person. Okay, the second thing is another picture is uh, the picture of a bride, a bride for a son, Jesus Christ. So God is choosing uh, uh, people uh, and he uses the image of a bride being beautifully prepared for a wed wedding feast with her husband. Okay, then he uses another picture, got many pictures. Another one is a picture of a temple, a corporate building of people and they're filled with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God dwells in them. So these are all pictures and you can go and look into each one because each one helps get an understanding of the bigger plan. So we're going to focus on the area of sonship, and that's the theme where we're going, but uh, we could just as easy turn over and go into these other areas. So we're going to focus on that. So let's go now and look at God's design, intentional design, intentional design. God is intentional in how he made us and designed us. In, in Genesis 2 verse 7, God formed, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man become a living being. So that word form means to shape like a pottle with a clay. It's like he took clay out of the hand and he took it in his own hands. He began to shape man. He, he was engaged in forming us. Eh? And, uh, and, and so God had a design. That word there means literally form. He become a living being. Uh, to form man literally means to design or create a piece of work of art. So, so you get pictures through the meaning of that word formed. It means as though like God got involved personally and took earth and took it up in his hands and began to shape it and mold it till he got it exactly the way he wanted. Uh, the word describes almost like a work of art. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, you are his workmanship, a, a creative work of art that he's working on, not completed yet. 
So it uses the, the image that there's nothing random about you being here. Now you understand that the way evolutionists teach, you just came out of, to stand out of a monkey or out of some animal or out of some cell. Whereas the biblical perspective is no, a loving God who created everything formed us intentionally. There's no accident, you are intentional. Even if your entrance to the world may have been accidental. Nevertheless, God is intentional about his plan for you. Everything about you is intentional. There's nothing, and that's why you want to celebrate who you are. No one like you. Don't try and be someone else. Be yourself. See? So he fashioned us. Where is workmanship? And, and the Bible also tells us that what God has started, he will complete. Philippians 1.6. God started something, he's not going to finish it. So you look around the church, let's, let's, it's like a building project that's not complete. You look, everyone you look at is a building project that's not complete. So don't look at it like it should be complete. There's a part of it's built, that's good. Enjoy the part it's built and say thank you for that and celebrate that. The rest of it's a mess, it's a work in progress, it's a work site, there's tools, there's dust, there's stuff everywhere. So that's, that's true of all of us. So don't get focused on the bit that's not done. Focus on the bit God's done and where he's going with it all. He got a great and mighty plan at the end of all of this. He's intentional. You are his workmanship. He will complete what he started. All you got to do is just cooperate with him. Okay. So first of all, this God is intentional. You're not an accident. Tell someone next to you, you're not an accident. Now don't go shaking your head saying, well, I think I am. Well, you look like you could have been. You know? <laughs> Nothing like that. You are intentional. God is diverse. And I think, I think God's got a great sense of humor. Here's the second thing about that design. God designed you to be a spirit being. God designed you to be a spirit being. And so it, it says, notice there in verse 7 of Genesis 2, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God formed man out of the ground, and then he breathed a spirit into man. The word breath in the Bible is the word pneuma, spirit. The word spirit is the word breath. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus breathed on the disciples and received the Holy Ghost. So he made man and shaped him, and then he imparted a spirit into him. Now that makes man really, 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 really different. I think sometimes we don't realize that because we, we get seduced by the, by the culture around us. But God is called the Father of Spirits. He's called the Father of Spirits. So if he's a Father of Spirits... What he produces and imparts is spirit. So God is a spirit, and he put into you a human spirit. Scientists can't tell about that. They can't measure that. But the Bible makes it very clear. You are created uniquely. You are a spirit being. That's who you are, a spirit being. And you have a soul and ability to be able to express and feel and think and make choices. And you live in a body. So the spirit being lives in a body. Now, there are other beings that God created. He created angels. They are spirit beings, but they're not human beings. They don't live in a body. And, he and demons, of course, are fallen angels, and uh, they're uh, uh, ugly, and they're, they're destructive, but uh, they are spirit beings. They're not human beings. They don't, they don't have a body of their own. And then he made animals. Animals do not have a spirit. Animals are animals. They have a they have soul, but they do not have a spirit. So on the face of the earth... There is, in the physical creation, there is a unique species of created beings called mankind, which are a spirit being carrying something of the image of God within them. 
So every person, even if they've fallen because of sin, every person is valuable because they carry something of God in them. God gave them a spirit. The spirit on death returns to God. So we are a spirit being. So God has designed that we would be spirit beings. How about that? So, so, so the first man was different to everything. And in fact, if you think about it, spirit beings belong in the spirit world. We're human beings. We're just like an alien invader because there's nothing like us in the world. Because we actually can live in two realms. As a spirit being, you're able to live and connect into the realm of the spirit and access the life and resource of God. As a human being, you can live in the world and taste and touch and enjoy all the things God's created. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? So you're created a spirit being. Here's the, third, here's the next thing. You are created to be a son. God designed man not just to be a spirit being. God designed man to be a son. Now, the primary purpose of a son in the Bible is to represent his father. Now, I'll go into that in another session, a lot more on that, because if you don't understand that God's design is for you to represent him,
When you hear these, these Bible words, you've got to watch you don't attach a human meaning to them. You've got to see what it meant when they wrote it. And so when we read the word son, we read in gender immediately. So if you're a guy, oh, son. If you're a woman, you think, You know, it's just, it's just what happens, you know, because we read it through a carnal mind. But, you know, the Bible tells us that not, not only is God creating sons, he's creating a bride for Christ. That means if you're a woman, a bride, awesome. If you're a man and you're a bride, that's weird. Do you understand? So, so it's just, it, it's, it's, it's not a gender term. It's a prophetic picture term to describe a function. So when he talks about sons, he's talking about representatives who rule over the family business. When he's talking about a bride, he's talking about someone who is very beautiful, attractive, that he has a love relationship with. If when he talks about temple, he's talking about a dwelling that he comes and he fills all of it with his presence till everyone can feel it. So there's many, many different ways that God expresses himself. So when we talk sonship, we're not talking gender, we're talking male and female. Okay, because, so if you have a look at the word for son in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's ben meaning uh, a ben, uh, a builder of the father's house. But if you look at the word uh, for daughter, it's the word banar, which comes from the word ben, which means the builder of the father's house. So whether we're male or female, we're one through Christ Jesus. God sees us not as men or as women. He sees us as sons all called to be builders. But within our own flow, we have different functions on earth in our relationships. Does that make sense? So, so in, in eternity, there's no giving in marriage. There's just sons. But right now, of course, we have male and female. When it comes to the things of God, we have equality. When it comes to how we function, we function differently. So women can contribute certain things, men can't. Men can contribute certain things, God can't. But together they can reflect what God is like because together they come from God. So man can never fully on his own reflect what God is like because some of the qualities of God are uniquely in women and they're more easily discovered in women. It's wonderful. God is so brilliant. That's why I like it, you know, even when God talked to Adam, he talks to Adam directly, it, differently to he talks to Eve. You know, you know, he talks to Adam, did you eat the fruit of the tree? You know, boom, 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 straight down the line. Talks to Eve, what have you done? <laughs> different conversation, different style, you know. Women don't like the other one. <laughs> If women are very like God, they ask a lot of questions. Okay, so, so we got that idea. Okay, so, so then when you're thinking of son, a son is a builder. Why? Because he carries the DNA of his father. He carries the nature of his father. And so he can act, and he's called to act as a representative. So every person who's a son or daughter is called to act as a father's representative. And you see even Jesus as a young person at the age of 12, Luke 2.49, don't you know about, must be about my father's business. So at 12, he had an awareness of his identity, a child of God, of his calling to represent his father, and he positioned himself so that could happen. Great examples, isn't it, really? Great examples. Okay, getting the idea? All right, then. So here's another thing is God designed sons with specific responsibilities. 
God designed sons to fulfill a specific responsibilities. So I'll, I'll touch on those a bit more later uh, in another session. And let's go and read in Genesis 1, 27, 28. God did create a man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So both male and female. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Has the earth been filled yet? No, it hasn't. So why are they trying to reduce the population? Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and every living being that moves on the earth. So God, gave, God the Father gives the Son responsibility. You've got to understand, we'll get on to this in another session, how one of the things that dads do is give their sons jobs to do. Given responsibility. All sons get responsibility. So he's called to be a representative of his father and he's called to do two things. One is to be fruitful and the other is to rule. One is to be fruitful. In other words, take what has been given to your care and then cause it to multiply and increase and grow. So every son is called to be productive. And interesting enough, God provided an ecosystem. He provided a financial system for a do it. He provided all the trees, all the fruit. He provided everything the son needed to set up the business. Isn't that interesting? He provided everything for him. Put him in a garden. Provided the place for it to be worked out. But the sons, all sons are meant to be productive. Now you understand then, there's no way just attending a church you're productive. You actually have to engage with people and engage in service and adding value to someone or something. That's how we do it. You, in other words, you approach life from the point of view as a son, I'm here to invest and to cause it to grow and increase, not to take something from it. And the second thing was to, gut, to rule. And when you hear the word rule, you think of bossing. It's not like that at all. In the kingdom of God, to be a ruler means you protect something that could be hurt, and then you also cultivate it, provide the environment that it'll produce. So if you're a father, the head of the household, you're called to protect the home. It's a primary male function to protect the home and to protect the marriage. Protect. It's in men to protect. It's designed in men to protect. To lay your life down to protect. And it's also put in men to cultivate the environment within which relationships can flourish and a family can grow. So fathers are responsible for that as sons. Now, the, the mother will work with the father as a team and they work together, each contributing their own amount. But both are, ultimately, the dad is held responsible. When Adam fell, when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam was the one called to account because Adam was in charge. So you can't get, men cannot get away from the responsibility to, uh, to rule over their households, to protect them and to cultivate the environment where it'll be fruitful and productive and relationships will be healthy. That's a God-given thing to do. Oof, always gets quiet when we talk about that. I want to do a series, I want to do a series on Kingdom Men at some time and that'll be, that'll be worthwhile. Get the guys all wound up. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I better, better hurry and finish this. So, so God prepared and gave a territory. The interesting thing is that God didn't just have a plan. He already, before the plan, he had a territory called the Garden of Eden and he planted man in the garden he'd already made. So you are born into an environment. You, God put you in an environment where you can outwork his plan. And God, although he gave Adam rulership over the whole earth, only gave him a little bit to start with to see how he'd do with the plan being that as he grew and matured, he could add more and more and more to it till he filled the whole earth. 
So he gave him a little bit to work with. So God puts a garden, he gives you something to be responsible for. So your territory, whatever you're responsible for is your garden and God designed you to tend and to keep it. Okay, get the idea. Now, when you look at every person through the Bible, the one problem comes through right through the whole Bible. Everyone since Adam sinned. And so no one produces the perfect picture except one person and that is called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the pattern son and he is preeminent and the centre of all God's plan. So God has got this wonderful plan involving people. However, the centre of the plan is the person of Jesus Christ. Absolute centre. He is the pattern son. Uh, in Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, all things were created through him and for him. He's the son of God, he's the express image of God. When you see what Jesus is like, you're seeing what the father behaves like. So don't get upset because some Christian offended you. Let me tell you now, it's totally predictable. The one, and even Jesus caused great offence because he held up to the word of God. What it offends is our flesh. But, Jesus, but the thing is, if you want to overcome the issue that people within the church and sometimes how the church does stuff and the decisions are made, all that kind of stuff, it's never perfect. But don't get offended because God can use it even though it's imperfect to change you. What, but that'll only happen if you keep your eyes on the one who is perfect, Jesus. So he's always there. He's always the one. Get your eyes on him. Don't make an idol out of any person, any ministry, no matter how anointed. It doesn't really matter. They are just the servants of God. So you keep your eye on people, you get offended and upset, then you lose your destiny. Get your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Eh? He's, he's the one. He's the one. Now, why do you have to keep your eyes fixed on him? Because he's the pattern. See, so, so Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if there's a part of his life which is weird and not following Christ, don't follow that bit, follow the other bits that are like Jesus. So, so, when, you, so when, when God sets godly people in the body of Christ, you don't copy everything, you just take a look at the godly aspects and they're a model for you to copy. There's someone showing you what it could look like. But Jesus is the only one who's got it all together. He's the only one who's got it all together. None of us have got it together. We all need Jesus. <laughs> that help, eh? So notice there in, in, in Romans 8, 29, whom he foreknew, speaking of you, he predestined or he created a destiny that you would be conformed to become like Jesus Christ so he'd be the firstborn among many brethren. So in other words, God is saying his plan is to have many and he wants them to be like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Hey? Like Jesus. That's, so therefore, study Jesus, focus on Jesus, pray to Jesus, talk to Jesus, get to know Jesus. And as you make him your focus, you become like the one you focus your life on. You know, you hang out with angry people, after a while you're angry. You hang out with victim people, after a while it's poor me. You're to blame. You hang out with Jesus, oh, that's much better. Much, much better. I don't know why you never thought of it before. Hang out with Jesus a lot more. Spend time with him. Listen to him. Ask him for advice and show us. So, so God is very clear. His plan is to bring many children to become like Jesus Christ. Now, get this. If it's God's plan to conform you to become like Jesus Christ, that means you're not there yet. That means a part of you is out of shape. Some are really out of shape. 
And so if you want to get in shape, you've got to go someplace where you'll get in shape. So God puts you in a church, a family, and he gets you into a relational flow with him, and he wants to get you shaped up to be like Jesus in your character. So you're meek and humble. You, you got to, don't have anger issues, and you don't have pride issues. Hello, man? Hello? Amen. See, God wants you to become like him. You say, well, that sounds a bit weak and wussy to me. Well, okay, who's in charge of the earth then? Who, who's been exalted by God to the highest realm of rulership? The one who was meek and lowly and who was humble and served. So, so greatness is found in embracing the hard qualities of Jesus. So he's the one you want to become like. And in any place you're not like that, that's the place you repent. That's the place you talk to him. Ask for his help and grace to grow. So here's a good thing is, God has got you in his own growth process and it's unique to everyone. And the challenges you face are meant to grow you. So when you come up and you're crying and weeping because of all the stress you're going through, really, God has just put you in a growth situation. And, and, and you're not, 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 not behaving well. <laughs> well, I've been there, so I know I get to understand what that's like. But it's because I've got my eyes off Jesus. As soon as you get your eyes back on Him, you're empowered again to become and to change. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> the problem is friendly fire, isn't it, Owen? <laughs> yeah, when the people supposed to be on your side are the ones who are shooting at you. That's called friendly fire. That's one of the challenges in the church. The people supposed to be on your side start shooting at you and saying things behind your back. That's really called friendly fire, but it's not very friendly at all, very unfriendly. But anyway, you've got to get over that as well. So, so Jesus is preeminent. The Bible calls him the head over all things. He's the firstborn from there. So Jesus is being given the place of preeminence, but his goal is to raise up sons and daughters to be just like him. Amen. That is the plan. So it starts when you receive Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 12, to him who received him. Every person who received Jesus Christ, he gave the authority, the right to become a child of God. And that word child is the word technon, meaning a little child, a little just born, newborn. Newborns mess up all the time. But after a while they grow up and you hope you're not feeding them and cleaning them up. So in the church, you hope you're not feeding people all the time and cleaning them up. They should be feeding themselves, should be studying the Bible, should be praying, should be hearing God, all that kind of stuff. Shouldn't have to be doing it all for them all the time because they're growing up. Okay, so God wants us to go up. So he's got a plan for you. So embrace the plan. Jesus, that stress I'm feeling, I welcome it. Thank you, Lord. Show me how you want me to grow. How about that? That would be a good response because I believe you're changing me to be like Jesus. This thing that's here, and the Bible's very clear. It says, this light affliction. Whatever you're going through now, the Bible calls it a light affliction. It's a little wee bit of an upset. And there it is. This light affliction works for us. Oh, it, it works on our behalf. It works for us. It works an eternal weight of glory or transforms us while we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. So in the midst of whatever you're facing, get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. Don't get your eyes on the media and what they're saying. Get your eyes on Jesus Christ, what the Word of God is saying, and allow Him to direct the course of your life. That'll turn you gradually, become like the one that you focus your life on. Isn't that great? And then he has a grand conclusion. Jesus will succeed where Adam failed. Where Adam failed and left a legacy of separation, uh, left us a culture of an orphan, 
right through the world, left us a loss of dominion and subject to sin and all kinds of sickness and problems. Jesus has overcome all of that and left a different legacy, a legacy of life, a legacy of hope, a legacy of spiritual strength. He's given all of that to us, all available to us, all available through the Holy Ghost. He gives it to all who believe on Him. He says, as many as receive, uh, you know, Christ, he said, he said, you've received the spirit of adoption, the spirit that bears witness to our spirit. We're children of God. Who are you? You're a child of God. Are you a son of God? Not yet, I'm on the way. Let me just finish the grand conclusion of the thing. Uh, I'll just share the scripture and I won't go into it too much. But the Bible says all of creation is waiting the completion of this plan. So, So the whole of creation... The whole of creation, creation itself, it says it groans. It's a burden, all these people. You understand? So so the Bible implies that creation is a living thing. Not that we should worship it, but it's alive and it's responsive to man and the sin man brings. Brings a burden on the earth. And so when when there's bloodshed, there's, there's, there's a problem. The blood cries out of the earth. So if we read in Romans 8, and I'll just finish here. It's just amazing scripture. I love this passage here. It's just absolutely amazing. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. You have received a taste of that. Christ has gone into you. This is the hope that He will manifest Himself in the future. For the earnest expectation, Romans 8, 19, of all creation, it eagerly is awaiting the manifestation of the sons, mature, who is full-grown sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Or what He's saying is that a curse was placed upon creation, but God gave a hope that it would be redeemed. So all of creation has a hope that one day, God will complete His plan and the curse will be lifted off the creation. The animals will change. The ground will produce. Everything will be different. It'll be back like it was before the fall. This is a hope that creation has. And it says, for we know, verse 22, that the whole of creation groans and labours with birth bangs. Those birth bangs, earthquakes, volcanoes, all kinds of issues weather issues until now not only that we which have the first fruit of the spirit groan so we groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting the adoption the placement into sonship which means the redemption and resurrection of our body and it says if we hope for what we don't see we're eagerly awaiting for it with perseverance so just simply God's eternal purpose hasn't yet been seen so when people look at you It's very true what John said. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. See? So it says God's God's plan is yet to be revealed. The great hope is is not that we'll go to heaven. The great hope is our being placed into full sonship and having access to the inheritance Christ bought. It's called the adoption. When is that going to happen? It will happen at the end of the age. It will happen at the return of Christ. The return of Christ will mean 
that we are placed into sonship and the evidence of it is our body is resurrected and transformed. And the Bible calls this a great hope. Hope means it's in the future, it's not now. But when you have a hope, it causes you to look at now and change how you live. It causes you to embrace the challenges and to embrace the process of growing. It calls you to reach out to build relationship with God. It calls you to persevere no matter what's wrong. And when people threaten your life for following Christ, you say, I'd rather yield and give up than to surrender Christ. This is, this is an amazing thing. This is called our great hope. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but when He appears, we'll be like Him. And everyone who has that hope frees himself from defilement. Now, a lot of people in the church live very defiled lives. Defiled by the world, defiled from things in their past, defiled also by things that they're doing. But everyone who has a hope of God's plan in their heart, they don't need anyone to tell them what to do. They know and desire to be free of defilement and please their Father because they're sons. Their reference point is their sons, as, as sons is their Father, and the person to model on is Jesus Christ. Why don't we close our eyes right now? I feel the presence of God here now. I believe God's going to touch many, many people. I think we should actually lift and exalt the name of Jesus high because Jesus, He's the one who gets the preeminence. He's the one we exalt on high. He's the one that they threw their crowns at His feet. He's the one that everything flows from Him, Jesus Christ. So right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this would be a great day to make a decision. I'm having an empty life. I'm walking my own way. Today I choose to follow Christ. I'd love you just in a moment to make your way to the front with others and make a response to receive Jesus Christ. Pray a simple prayer to, to change your life and your destiny. There's other people now, perhaps you're struggling with something. God wants you to fix your eyes back on Jesus. Perhaps there's an area of healing you need in your body once you come forward. Perhaps there's an area where you're oppressed and you're struggling and feeling weighed down. There's things sitting on you. Say, God, I, I really want to be free of that today. And perhaps there's other people and uh, you're struggling, as I was sharing before, with some aspects of defilement. And you say, oh man, I, I just realized this stuff I need to be cleansed from. I need to actually get rid of this stuff out of my life. I want to do it today. I want to fulfill the destiny God has for me, that eternal purpose of being a son of God, fully manifested in the earth, to be part of changing this earth. Well, it's an extraordinary destiny we're called to, an extraordinary future we're called to. And out of every generation, men and women have made a decision to receive Christ, to walk with Him. Some gave up their lives, some went through hardship, some have passed on, but every one of them who has followed Christ, made that decision to live for Him. God knows who they are, and He will raise them up at His coming. And those who are alive, who serve Him faithfully, He will raise them up at His coming. They will come and enter sonship. They will rejoice. They will be so glad the sufferings and difficulties will mean nothing because they've seen the one face to face. Here I am and He's changed me. I'm out of this weak and tired body in a resurrection body and now I have an eternal destiny working with my God and Father to change creation. Oh my, what a glorious hope that is. So if you today want to receive Christ, why don't you make your way to the front? Church, let's all stand. If you need healing, why don't you make your way to the front? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not the one
don't you make your way to the front. If you know you're struggling with unclean things, make your way to the front. Say, Jesus, I want to open my life to you. I need your power to touch me. If you've lost your passion because of disappointment, difficulties, make your way to the front. Say, God, restore my passion. Lord, touch me with fresh fire from heaven. Fresh fire from heaven. I need fresh fire from heaven. Lord. Let's worship Jesus. We're going to pray for people in a moment. Close your eyes, just all eyes closed, just be aware God is present here, His Spirit's present, Thank you, He loves you, no matter what's happened, He wants to pick you up and move you forward again, just reach out to Him. Is anyone wanting to receive Christ for the first time, just let me know, perhaps there are some that wanting to come back to Christ. He understands. He loves you. He delights in you. He's going to help you. So wherever you are right now, why don't you just, before we pray for you, talk to the Lord about what your need is. Talk to Him personally before someone prays for you. The person praying for you is just a channel for Jesus. So why don't you first talk to Jesus? And then the person will come forward to pray with you, pray for you. Ask God's power to come upon your life. But why don't you just put your heart right? If you've fallen away from Him and now suddenly you've got deep problems, Jesus, help me. I belong to you. I don't belong in this mess. Jesus, forgive me for turning my eyes off you and doing other things. I turn back to you today. There's things in your life are not right. Jesus, I just bring them to you by name. I ask you to forgive me. I bring all of these failures to the cross. I bring my sin to you, asking forgiveness and cleansing. Perhaps some of you have been deeply wounded, deeply hurt. It can be a process to work through all of that, but you can make a decision today to let go control and say, Jesus, come and heal that pain. I choose to forgive and let it go and bring it to you. ministry team would you just go and pray for people just find out what their need is what they're what they're wanting God to break through and just come and pray for them Holy Spirit come begin to fall upon people right now Holy Spirit come fall upon people fall upon people